My name is Jeanette Okur, and on behalf of the Center for Middle Eastern Studies and our two co-sponsors, co the Department of History and the Department of Slavic and Eurasian Studies, um, I'd like you to welcome to you to the second lecture in our Turkish Ottoman Lecture Series this year. Um, we're very pleased to have Dr. Nuri Ali Tahir uh, with us today. Um, how many of you already know him? A few? Okay. Hopefully for you, my introduction will not be too repetitive or boring. Um, he is a visiting, visiting scholars uh, with us at the UT Center for Russian, East European, and Eurasian Studies this year. And he's here with the generous uh, uh, funding of a big organization in Turkey called TÜBİTAK, the Scientific and Technological Research Council of Turkey. Um, it's the leading agency in that country for the management funding and uh, the management and funding of research. Um, uh, but uh, Nuri Bey, as I like to call him, is actually um, a lot more international than simply Turkey. He's originally from Bulgaria, um, from the city of Karjala. Karjali. Okay, which is um, one of the largest uh, Turkish minority city cities in uh, Bulgaria. And uh, he grew up as a child in the communist era. His family migrated uh, to Turkey when he was 13. And so he then went to middle school and high school in Bursa. Uh, later did his uh, bachelor's and master's degrees in international relations at Gazi University in Ankara, the capital of Turkey. And after that, he left and went to Europe. Um, he did his doctorate um, in trans border policies for daily life at the University of Trieste in northern Italy, um, and then uh, hopped around a lot of different countries doing some very interesting uh, international research. Uh, he was the Marie Curie Fellow at Catholique Université Leuven in Belgium, um, a visiting fellow at the University of Southern Denmark, and also, also at Karl Franzens Universität in Graz, where I also studied a long time ago. Um, his research interests are uh, pretty expansive. Um, as of late, they have focused mostly on minority rights of Turks in Bulgaria and Greece. Um, but he has also studied the political history of the Balkans, uh, the Macedonian question, European integration um, in southeastern Europe, uh, the modernization of Turkey. And right now at UT, he is also teaching a course on the political history of the Black Sea region. And I think we have a couple of students from his class out there. Um, anyway, today he's going to give us a, a broad overview of um, the experiences um, of Bulgarian Turks uh, as their nation has changed its shape and its political structures. Um, and I think it should be very interesting as he's speaking uh, not only as a scholar, but also from personal experience. Thanks. Thank you, Janet, for the impressive presentation. Good afternoon, everyone. Uh, I would like, first of all, to thank for the Center for uh, Middle East Studies and Jeanette for their uh, generous helps and uh, opportunities that they provide me to also disseminate my research uh, that I conducted during my doctorate and postdoctorate uh, level. And today I'm going to share uh, with you the um, part of it which deals with the Turkish presence and the Turkish minorities in Bulgaria. 
Well, uh, just as a brief introduction, I decided uh, to adopt a multidisciplinary approach to the issue because I do know that it isn't only a current issue that goes on, but it's an issue that has a very large uh, background that leads throughout the centuries and uh, shaped actually the ethnographic map in the Balkans, which is known as a region that turmoil never actually ends. So the Turk, if just I wanted to start briefly with the picture that I chosen for the main picture of my presentation. This picture is taken in the south of Bulgaria, and the lady looks at the mosque. That, and behind at the background, the mountains is a border with Greece. So this is how actually the Turkish minority in Bulgaria is situated. If you quickly look at the overview of the Turkish presence in the Balkans, or briefly in Bulgaria, that may lead back to the 14th century with the Turkish conquest in the Balkan Peninsula. And first in the 15th century, Turks in big cities in Bulgaria uh, become majority. And they also form some cities that are fastly developing and economically becoming the hubs of the regions, especially in the southeast of the Bal southeast of Europe. Then, where are the Turks from Bulgaria coming today? Mostly there are two different, actually, populations and two different theses that are defended by the scientists, or let's say by the academicians. The first one is that the Turkish presence in south of Bulgaria are directly the Turks that are uh, that emigrated from the central and western Anatolia, especially from the Karamanid Emirate or as, as known in Turkish Karamanoğlu Beyli. Those were mostly chosen by the sultans at that time among the hostile tribes between each other or those people who actually were very sensitive about the Turkish identity and using Turkish in their daily lives. They were especially chosen to be sent to the Balkans in order to, to spread the Turkish culture and also Islam. This is how actually also this native population in Bulgaria that they found later on becomes acquainted with them and they continue the peaceful coexistence for centuries. What happens is with the settlement of the Turks in the Balkans, the Ottoman millet system becomes dominating the daily life of communities where Jews, Christians and Muslims exist together and they are only administratively or let's say politically connected with Sultan as citizens. But apart from that, in terms of their social and religious life, they are connected with their religious uh, hats, mostly in terms of divorce, marriage, heritage, or death. Everything is organized and regulated by the religious hats of these Muslim, Muslim, Christian, or Jewish communities. So, if we briefly start to say how actually Turks became minority in Bulgaria, the first thing that can be traced in terms of Bulgarian geography is the 1877-1878 Russo-Turkish War. In fact, the Ottoman uh, losses of territories began in 18th century, but it didn't come up to Bulgaria until the uh, second half of the 19th century. 1878 Russo-Turkish War left many Turks outside of the Ottoman Empire. Despite the Turks fleeing during the war, their population became so much immanageable that 
they were not able to emigrate anymore and to leave those territories, including the fact that during the Crimean War in 1856, many of the Turks who left Crimea settled in the northeast of Bulgaria. This is also the thesis that the Turkish population in the northeast of Bulgaria is mixed with those Turks who later on came from Crimea and also the Turks who came with the Ottoman migrations in 15th century. This, most of, big part of this research actually um, cites the linguistic differences because there are differences in the dialects. Uh, in the Turkish dialect spoken by the Turks in the south of Bulgaria and the Turks of the north of Bulgaria. Very slight difference, but they say that these differences have some similarities with the Turkish spoken in the region of Crimea or some parts of the southwest uh, of Russia nowadays. The 1878 Russo-Turkish War ended up with a great uh, with the treaty that is called San Stefano that creates a big Bulgaria in the Balkan Peninsula. On the map that you will see here is actually what Bulgaria was first imagined as a, as a result of the San Stefano Treaty, where actually this was mostly a map that was imposed by Russia. And you see the boundaries of Bulgaria reaching almost to three seas and Bulgaria annexing also uh, part of the, or let's say, all of Macedonian territories. However, the Western powers, let's say mainly British Kingdom, decided to intervene in the process because the British Empire was against the creation of Bulgaria that could be a satellite of Russia in the Balkan Peninsula. Therefore, Britain and Germany requested a revision of the treaty as a result of which the territories of Bulgaria were minimized. Eventually, Bulgaria, after the Berlin Treaty, was created as a principality of Bulgaria in the north, which you see in the green lines. And then Eastern Rumelia became an autonomous region that was actually direct, uh, under the control of the Ottoman uh, Sultan. However, during the turmoils in the Ottoman Empire in 1885, when the young Turks uh, initiated uh, a prizing, actually Bulgaria decided to annex also Eastern Rumelia as its own territory. And this is how the territories of Bulgaria were comprised of Principality of Bulgaria and Eastern Rumelia later on. This is one of the maps that they presented in 1870 before the Russo-Turkish War, in order to justify the needs of the ethnical uh, populations and its composition in certain territories. Because the 18th, or let's say the 19th century was mostly known as the long 19th century in the history uh, literatures because of the fact that this was the creation of nation states in mainly in the Balkans, which actually the results of the French Revolution in the Balkans were interpreted in different way. Because what occurred as a French Revolution in Western Europe was understood as a democracy, and in Eastern Europe or the Balkans, it was an understood as a means to express the national identity and create nation states with the boundaries that were dating back to the medieval ages. However, the problem was this, that in order to create states that correspond to these medieval borders, 
the population inside or the ethnic composition of the population inside didn't enable such kind of huge creation. This was one of the maps that was uh, defended by the British and German sides, where actually you see the composition of the territories. Mostly the blue ones are here representing the Greek population. The pink ones are the Turkish population. The red ones are the Bulgarian ones. Or let's say the orange-red one uh, represents the Bulgarian population in uh, that time. However, this map is only representative because they didn't conduct any sort of census in the region. It was just a map that is distributed by the regional, uh, let's say, mostly by the ambassadors in Constantinople at that time. And the representatives of church or churches or the missionaries in Bulgaria that also cite some certain Ottoman censuses and distort them in different way. Because soon after, when Bulgaria also annexed Eastern Romania, there is a population census again. And this population census actually shows the reality. Despite, after 10, almost 10 years past Bulgarian annexation with Eastern Romania, you see the population um, presence here. The green line, the green areas are, are places where only Bulgarians are a majority. Still, there are, there are other ethnic groups, but the Bulgarians are majority. The pink, white, and green lines are areas where actually the Turkish population lives. And the yellow ones here, as you see with the line of Turkey and the Black Sea, are the areas where Greek population in Bulgaria was settled. And if you see here how a nation state was created in 19th century in big parts. You see actually that the empire wasn't that much actually uh, strong enough to be able to keep its territories, not the population itself. Because those new nation states, they believed that once they take the territory or actually justify it on the diplomatic table as a territorial loss, they could always force the population to move. One way to do that was the forced migration. And the other way to do it, like to, through massacres, in order to force the people to leave and abandon all their properties. The second stage of it starts with the Balkan Wars. The Balkan Wars actually began just because of the territorial claims. Because newly independent nation states wanted to expand their territories. At the first Balkan War in 1912, Macedonia, Montenegro, Greece and Bulgaria agree between each other and attack the Ottoman Empire, claiming that actually the minority rights in the Ottoman Empire are not respected. So they want these territories, territories automatically to be given to them. And when Sultan responds negatively to this request, because Ottoman Empire is already engaged with a war in Libya, with, the, with Italy, they just wanted to acquire more territories by using this situation because they think that the Ottoman Empire is not able to fight in two different fronts, one in North Africa and the other in the Balkans. And they are right. And as a result of it, actually, these Balkan states almost end up near Istanbul, just west of Istanbul, because their aim is to bring an end to the Turkish presence in, the, in Europe generally. So these are actually the territories which, uh, which 
before the first Balkan War belonged to Ottoman Empire, and down at the bottom you see the territories that are acquired later on by the nation states. However, after sharing all those territories, all these Balkan states between each other disagree at a certain point. Because as you can see it here on the map, Bulgaria gets a huge territorial gains more than Serbia, Montenegro, and Greece. And all these three countries agree between each other to launch war against Ottoman Empire. And using this opportunity, also Romania declares war against Bulgaria, and they take part of the North Dobruja that were also the Turkish minority is a majority in the area where they live. And what happens is that as a result of the Second Balkan War, Ottoman Empire manages to get back Adrianople or Edirne with today's name. In the First Balkan War was the area when they had to cede it to Bulgaria and accept the Bulgarian presence in Edirne. However, in few months, when the disagreement between the Balkan countries occurred, a new war began in order to acquire the territories that they have lost before. Nevertheless, this period for the Muslim minorities in Bulgaria, in all these lands that were nearly acquired by the Bulgarian state, resulted in a different consequences. Here you will see parts of it. Why? During the, second, during the First Balkan War, when Bulgaria got so many territories in the southern part near the border with Greece and the Ottoman Empire, these areas were mostly populated by Muslims. And also, not only Turks, but also the Pomaks. Pomaks are known as an ethnic group that speaks a dialect of Bulgarian. However, they are Muslims. And for centuries long, they are the ones who voluntarily converted themselves to Islam and also supposed to be the ones who helped the Ottoman Empire during the 15th century when the conquest in the Balkan Peninsula started. The Pomaks were always regarded as a hostile community by the Bulgarians. Nevertheless, when Bulgaria obtained all these ter territories, they decided to use this as a tool to forcibly assimilate the Pomaks into Bulgarian let's say, um, first of all, Bulgarian social understanding, and the second one, religiously, to convert them to Christianity. And how did this conversion actually occur is another process, because it's, it's another story, I mean, to be analyzed. These are the Turks, when part of them, this is a picture that actually also demonstrates how the Turkish migration from the Balkans during the Balkan Wars occurred. Because you see here, actually, the ladies themselves are managing the migration and they organize everything because all the men are in the front. They are fighting. They are soldiers. Most of them, they didn't even arrive because part of them are in North Africa and part of them are in the Balkans. Those are the captives, the hostages, actually, as a result of the first Balkan war that Bulgaria transported them to the central part of Bulgaria in order to use them in the future. However, among those hostages, there are many Pomaks. This population that speaks a dialect of Bulgarian and is Muslim. Nevertheless, the Bulgarian government, in cooperation with the Orthodox Church or the Bulgarian Exarchate, decide to embark on an assimilation policy against Pomaks but they want to use also the hostages of war for that. 
because they say that before these people return to their homes, we have to convert their families, children, lady, women, everyone. So when they return, they will be also converted because they will be free with the condition that they accept Christianity. And when they go home for family reunification, there, will not, there won't be any problem because also the families will be converted. So between the two world wars, directly, the Orthodox Church initiates these conversion waves. This is a picture taken from the regional, regional archive of uh, Plovdiv in, from southern Bulgaria, which actually shows the leaders of the Orthodox uh, Church going to the Pomak villages in order to convert the population. So this is how they lined them up, and everybody is waiting. And after finishing the ceremony here, they show the people how actually the worship must be conducted. And parts of it are also here. This is a Devin near central east, let's say central south, central eastern part of Bulgaria, where actually another conversion wave takes place. Because the elderly people who were not able to go to the front in the wars to fight. They were also in the villages and they were also converted. When all these people decide to go and complain about this forcible assimilation policy, they go directly to the Mufti, the religious leader of the Muslims in the Ottoman Empire, which had its own representative in Plovdiv. They go to his office and to com complain about the forced uh, conversion. The Mufti connects directly and uh, writes uh, a letter to the Sultan in Istanbul. However, the Orthodox authorities are learning about it a bit later. When Bulgarian states becomes, uh, let's say, takes a um, protest uh, letter from the Sultan regarding this, uh, for assimilation process, they say that actually it's a unilateral act of the Bulgarian Orthodox Church so that the government is not aware of it. This is actually, a, let's say, a game which they play between each other that they are not aware of the fact that this thing is going on and that the conversion is not something that actually the Bulgarian government wants it. Nevertheless, if you're seeing the situation with the war hostages, that they want to return them back home only with the condition that they accept the Christianity, you see how, what the situation is actually coordinated between two institutions. Later on, becoming afraid of the fact that in 1913, after the Second Balkan War, the Ottoman Empire may launch another uh, attack against Bulgaria, they decide to revoke the process. All the mosques that were converted to the churches become again mosques, but not for a very long time, because the First World War is soon to, to begin in 1914, and Bulgaria joins the central powers together with Germany, Austro-Hungarian Empire, and Ottoman Empire to fight together. Soon after the First World War, the things develop in different way, because then the contemporary Turkey is established, and right now, what they try to balance with Bulgaria is, again, the rights of the Turkish Muslim communities in Bulgaria. The first thing they negotiate with Bulgaria is 
the organization of education, social affairs and religious freedom of the Turkish or Muslim minorities in Bulgaria. With the treaty signed in 1925, the treaty for friendship between Turkey and Bulgaria, those rights are guaranteed. However, there is a one small detail. Since the treaty directly makes a reference to a religious community, Bulgarian authorities interpret the treaty in a different way, saying later on that since Turkey is a nation state right now, it doesn't have anything to do with the Muslim population or the Turkish population, let's say, uh, sorry, it doesn't have anything to do with the Muslim population in Bulgaria because Turkey now is a secular modern nation state. However, in 1925, they signed the same agreement and treaty with Turkey. This is a long, actually, discussion that goes on up until today because this treaty constitutes the basis of the Turkish protection for the rights of the Turkish minority in Bulgaria. Some scientists, or let's say some academic uh, people that study history at Sofia University and other institutions in Bulgaria, claim that the direct reference to the Muslim community in this treaty actually limits the Turkish protection for the minorities in Bulgaria, only to the religious ones. And the other ones actually say that, no, it's not true, because the Pomaks, they might be Bulgarian, or let, nowadays they prefer to call them Bulgarian Muslims, but if they are Muslims, since the treaty was made with a reference to Islam, then it enlarges actually the Turkish protection, the protection, let's say, protection status of the Turkish state on these minorities, which also covers the, covers the Pomaks, not only the Turks covers gypsies, Pomaks, and also the Turks, because they are, there, is a, there are Muslim, not only Christian. And then amid all those these discussions, another problem occurs after uh, the acceptance and the adoption of Latin uh, alphabet in Turkey. The new Turkish letters and their acceptance in Turkey is uh, welcomed also by the Turkish minority in Bulgaria. And the first reform begins when the, when the first refor reform begins in Bulgaria, the Bulgarian government is actually refusing it. It is the Turkish Teachers Association that was created in 1906, which actually governs all the process with the support of the Turkish embassy in Sofia. They are also backed by the public and the Turkish minority. For this reason, they have a wide possibilities for action in Bulgaria, and they decide to adopt the letters. Again, the parts actually, part of the organizations, Turkish organizations in Bulgaria also refuse it, because they do think that this is a refusal of the Ottoman tradition. Among these institutions is the mufti, the religious head. The chief mufti is joining the Bulgarian government here, saying that the new letters won't be accepted and they will prefer to use the Arabic script in Bulgaria, also the education of the Turkish minority. But there is another problem because as well as it is the same situation in uh, Turkey, same actually opposition waves occur also in Bulgaria because people in social life, they do speak Turkish. But in terms of schooling and education, they have to use Ottoman Turkish. 
To make it more simple, they prefer to adopt the Turkish letters or the, or the Latin alphabet in order to be uh, more progressive and also to keep, to, to keep in touch with Turkey and the cultural progress that goes on in Turkey. However, because of the same reason, Bulgarian authorities don't want it because they want to disconnect Turkey from the Turkish minority in Bulgaria for their further goals because the next years they are themselves becoming a target of assimilation. There is a slight difference between the assimilation and integration. The Bulgarian authorities never use the word assimilation. They call it integration. However, for the communities in the Balkans, or specifically for the communities in Bulgaria, assimilation has a bad connotation because of its consequences. Because assimilation is imposing once different identity and converting people against their will. When in terms of integration, a person accepts the other values while keeping its own identity. That is the slight difference how actually they also interpret it in Bulgaria. When the communist rule began, in 1945, they were very supportive for the rights of the Turkish minority because they wanted to engage them in uh, every aspect of the society. First of all, for them, it was very important to see the Turks engaging in social and educational and political life in order to see that they are supported. Because in order to create a communist rule in Bulgaria, they had to conduct also the elections where the communist party would be elected and as a result of it, turn Bulgaria into Russian satellite or, or Soviet satellite after the Second World War. So in order to get the votes of the people, and especially the Turks, who were largely agricultural uh, product, uh, working in the agricultural area and the landowners in Bulgaria, they initiated this campaign saying that the Turks will be also part of the uh, Bulgarian social and political life. The first Bulgarian communist leader, Dimitrov, in 1945, when he went to Moscow, he said different things. One of the things he said is like, I directly cite him, national minorities have to be offered with full rights, but we have to be very careful with Turks. They must be treated equally. They have to have the same political and citizenship rights as Bulgarians, possibility to study in their own language and to have their own schools and mosques. However, they shouldn't constitute particular national movement which might create Turkish sentiments in Bulgaria. We want to separate Turkey from Europe. Therefore, Turks should not be allowed to form any national union and get elected to the national parliament as Turkish national community. But it should be under the common ground as Bulgarian citizens from Turkish origins. So they actually want to prevent formation of a Turkish political party in Bulgaria that might have some sort of um, area for an action in the Bulgarian political life. But rather, they should be parts of the, and the members of the Bulgarian mainstream political parties. This is a battle that goes on for almost half a century. What happens in 1947? The new constitution of Bulgaria is accepted and this makes Bulgaria automatically a communist state. There is a certain reference which actually minorities are recognized as people from 
national minorities, which is a direct statement in the Bulgarian constitution. When it comes to 1948, slowly the collection and land confiscation takes place because according to the communists, people shouldn't have their own private properties. So all the land is taken and seized by the government and is given to the government officials. When they come to the Turkish villages, of course the Turks as big landowners oppose the process. In order to punish those people, Bulgarian government decides also to expel some of them due to their denial to give their lands to the Bulgarian authorities. Soon, people also get afraid because of the fact that the communists are coming and they won't respect their rights. They also actually decide to organize irregular movements for migration to Turkey. But when these requests are uh, made by the Bulgarian side, Turkey decides to negotiate a new uh, migration agreement with Bulgaria as a result of which, until 1951, almost 150,000 people, Tur Turks from Bulgaria, leave for Turkey. One of the pictures that actually shows this migration is uh, here, a picture taken by uh, an American uh, traveler and photographer, Jack Burns, at Edina train station in 1950s. So you see the ladies, they actually have uh, carry fur. And as you see their shoes, it's not their typical clothing. This is because of the fact that the Turks were not allowed to take anything with themselves. Their property houses were seized, their lands were confiscated, they were not allowed to carry out money in huge amount with themselves out of Bulgaria, which would mean actually gains for Turkey. So with the only money that they had, they were trying to buy the most expensive fur, so once they move in the other part of the border that they could sell it and to have some sort of food for themselves when they go to Turkey. This action of Bulgaria had also another motive, because in 1949, Turkey joined the NATO, North Atlantic Treaty Organization, and became part of the Western Alliance. In order to punish Turkey for the actions, in cooperation with the Soviet Union, Bulgaria decided to organize this migration in order to put Turkey in an economic hardship. However, the opposite occurs in Bulgaria. Because most of the people that leave Bulgaria are the workers and agricultural uh, production sector, Bulgarian economy struggles to, uh, create the, to exist uh, in the same balance. What happens also during these years is that Soon after that, Bulgarian authorities, when they move all the people and expel all the Turks from Bulgaria, they decide to get rid of the gypsy, the Roma minority in Bulgaria too. Because one of the conditions for the Turkish authorities to accept the Turks in Turkey was that they are issued with a passport, with a Bulgarian passport, official identity, and have an entry visa to Turkey. Nevertheless, Bulgarian authorities actually issue fake passports and visas to the members of gypsy community and send them to Turkey. When Turkish authorities realize this fact, they just close the border. According to the notes of the British uh, embassy representatives on the border, they try to um, depict the character of people who come from Bulgaria, the Turks, 
that they are highly educated and especially skilled immigrants that could actually benefit the Turkish uh, economy rather than, rather than damaging it. They say that also the migration ends up for this reason because Bulgaria was economically putting herself in a trouble. Then another way comes up a few years later. In 1956, uh, a uh, plenum of the Bulgarian Communist Party gathers in Sofia. The plenum is usually where the communist parties uh, create their plans for longer term and also uh, adopt new regulation for the further uh, reaching the true communism. So one of those, when Todor Zhivkov came to the rule in Bulgaria, is in 1956 that he decides actually to use the word assimilation, not integration. He says that sooner or later we have to deal this, with this population because in some parts in south of Bulgaria and northeast of Bulgaria, they actually constitute more than 80% of the people who live there. So they are not minority anymore, they are majority. And according to his, uh, let's say, countings and analysis, in 50 years, Bulgaria might become a country not with a Turkish minority, but with a Turkish majority. They were predicting that in this meeting, because the documents of the Communist Party were uh, disclosed to public in the second half of 1990s with the European project. And if you read through these documents, there are very interesting points. They make an analysis of a Bulgarian population by 2010 to become almost 9 million, where 5 million out of this 9 million might be from Turkish origin. So they say that as a result of this, we might be under uh, Turkish uh, oppression again, or these people would like to uh, secede from Bulgaria and join Turkey, or different things might occur in Bulgaria. In 1960s, the assimilation policy that was revoked in 1912 again comes to the air arena because the Bulgarian government decides to assimilate the Pomaks because they say somehow that they are already speaking Bulgarian. We don't have any problem with their religion. Let's make them Bulgarian. That's all. And they are becoming su successful. However, in some parts of the Bulgarian southwest territories close to the Greek border, they are not that successful because people create a siege around the towns and villages and rise up the Turkish flags. When the communist rule, communist government sees that this happened, they decide to leave the Pomak population in this area in quietness until 1984. 1984 is a time when actually the assimilation campaign targets the Turks themselves. Before it was only for Pomaks who were claimed to be people assimilated religiously during the 500 years long Ottoman rule in Bulgaria. For this time, Bulgarian academia was issuing a large amount of books in 1960s and also the cinema for that and uh, fictions about it saying that when the Pomaks were assimilated only religiously during the 500 years long Ottoman rule, the Turks were assimilated also ethnically. So they are, or they were, truly Bulgarians, 
but they assimilated themselves in order to use the privileges of being Muslim in the Ottoman state. In an initiation of a social engineering, in 1980s, after seeing that the assimilation campaign with the Pomaks was very successful, they decide to do name-changing campaign against the Turks as well. However, 10 years before that, in 1970s, they already stopped the education of the Turkish language in the schools. And in between the migration of 1951, they put a migration in 1968 too. In 1968, in the Warsaw Pact countries, there is a problem with Czechoslovakia. When Czechoslovakia actually wants to bring an end to the communist rule in Czechoslovakia, the same problems start to occur again in Bulgaria because they are actually backed by the Soviet Union, which wants to punish the Western world by sending massive mi uh, migration waves to Turkey. They decide again to launch another migration wave, but they don't know how to do it because by by with the... Um, Enactment of uh, Turkish schools and merging them with the Bulgarian ones in 1959, the Turkish population already starts to submit applications for migration to Turkey. By 1965, there are almost 400,000 applications to the Turkish consulates and embassies around Bulgaria in order to leave Bulgaria due to the bad treatment of uh, national minorities. And Bulgarian authorities actually take very strong security measures for that, not to secure the consulates because of the bad environment in the country, but to prevent the Turkey, Turkish people to reach the consulates and complain about bad treatment in Bulgaria. And what happens soon after is that these two countries, both Bulgaria and Turkey, decide to negotiate a new agreement for migration, which actually would help the unification of families who emigrated already in 1951. But this agreement was used in a different way by Bulgaria again, because when it finished, when the application of this agreement finished in 1978, Bulgarian authorities said, well, we don't have any more Turks because the ones who emigrated in 1951 were the Turks who, did, who were not very happy in Bulgaria and they decided to leave. By getting rid of their also, let's say, relatives in between 1968 and 1978, there are no more Turks in Bulgaria. And this was the way how the communist rule decided to launch the name-changing campaign of Turks. In 1984, Bulgarian Communist Party, in a secret meeting in Sofia, July 1984, they decide to launch the campaign of forced assimilation or the name-changing campaign for the Turkish minority in Bulgaria, changing their names with the Bulgarian ones and to claim that there are no more Turks in Bulgaria. The campaign itself starts in December 1984 and finishes in three months. Before the end of February 1985, the names of 850 people, according to the official ones, official numbers, are changed with the Bulgarian ones. And then, 
everybody is for abiding quietness in Bulgaria. With the accepting new Bulgarian names, the Turkish communities don't move because there is apparently a shock before organizing the next, next step. What could it be? And in 1980s, in the late 1980s, the Turks start to organize uh, political movements. They create groups through which they could fight for their rights. And actually, this area, uh, or this era for the political mobilization, brings, actually creates the basis of the Turkish political movement today that is going on in Bulgaria. They are very successful in organizing also the other countries for what happens in Bulgaria and to bring an attention to what happens in Bulgaria in terms of like oppression and human rights. And the Bulgarian authorities start to face a pressure from Western community. And in 1989, when Turkey was asking Bulgaria to negotiate a new migration agreement, Bulgarian authorities denied it. But soon after, they had to accept it because Bulgaria began to be very unstable. And soon in three months, you have almost half million Turks leaving in three months the country to the direction of Turkey. And those are the pictures of uh, 1989 summer, Bulgarian-Turkish border. Here you see people trying to leave with every means they have, Bulgaria. And uh, some other people who actually don't have vehicles or their vehicles were not allowed to leave by uh, Bulgarian authorities, they had to carry their uh, all belongings to Turkey like that because it was a very intense process. You would have apparently one night police standing in your door saying that actually you should be ready to leave the country in 24 hours. Your passport and all travel documents will be delivered to you near the border and get, get outside of Bulgaria in these 24 hours with everything that you have without the right to without the right to sell your property, without the right to organize any sort of like immovables. However, like in other cases, Turkey accepted those refugees only with the condition that they are issued original Bulgarian passports for the future in order to claim the citizenship uh, status. And actually it worked. Those are also part of the people that migrated with the trains they were uh, leaving them on the Turkish border where the Turkish authorities uh, created uh, new small uh, welcoming points uh, for the uh, Turkish uh, minority and sent them in different areas uh, to Turkey. So what you have as a result of this campaign is that part of these people who went to Turkey returned back to Bulgaria, but not very large part of them. And those who actually came back to Bulgaria leave, left the country during 1990s. This migration wave and all the protests that happened in this time brought an end to the communist rule in Bulgaria. Because when the Turks were fighting for their rights in Sofia or other big cities, Bulgarians, part of them were fighting also helping them in terms of solidarity for their rights, while the right wing was protesting against it. Nevertheless, when the new uh, Committee for National uh, Unification was formed in Bulgaria, they decided to adopt a new constitution that gives the rights of the Turkish minority back. 
However, in this constitution, as well as previous Bulgarian constitutions, the Orthodox Church and the dominance of the Bulgarian Orthodox Church was put as a rule, saying that the Orthodox Church or the Eastern Christianity is the favorite, uh, more favored, let's say, religion in Bulgaria. Nevertheless, thanks uh, to uh, some of the processes or the transition process in Bulgaria during the 1990s, these ethnic tensions didn't turn into a conflict or violent conflict as in the other parts of the Balkans. This happened uh, to a great extent to the, thanks to the help of the Turkish uh, political movement in, at that time and also with the mobilization of Bulgarian politicians who were not that uh, harsh in terms of applying these policies. And also the close contact between the Turkish and Bulgarian uh, population in Bulgaria helped for the uh, mobilization of the transition period. Today, the Turks form almost 15 to 20 percent, or the Muslims form to 15 to 20 percent of the population of Bulgaria. And this is uh, an example of, about uh, how the voting behavior in most cities matters. The new constitution actually prohibits formation of parties along the ethnic lines. So if there is a party claiming to be an ethnic party or the party of ethnic minority, this is prohibited by the Bulgarian constitution. So the minorities are not allowed to be active politically. They should do something else. And apart from that, uh, this is actually how the voting behavior in Bulgaria is nowadays. So the lines with the blue are actually uh, the votes that come for the Turkish party. It is a party that is formed along the main lines in Bulgaria, so doesn't have any direct reference to certain ethnic community. But the members, to a great extent, almost 95% are Turks. Today, the Bulgarian parliament comprises of 20, 240 seats, and out of these 240, 40 seats are belonging to the Turkish minority. There is approximately a um, majority in some parts of Bulgaria, and in terms of local governance, the Turks have almost uh, 85 to 100 municipalities in each local election, because their political mobilization is relatively spread all around the country. If you can just uh, imagine the previous maps I showed you historically how the population was spread all over the country, this is the situation in 2007-2003 elections, local and the general ones. This is the percentage of the votes that the movements for right and freedom, the Turkish or let's say the ethnic uh, party, gets in certain regions. As you can see, the focus is mostly on the northeastern part and the southern part, where close to the Greek border, where uh, the Turkish minority is forming a majority of the population. So, as a conclusion, what can be said is that for Bulgaria, the transition period was really very helpful, but it went through a missed opportunities because many things in terms that could be improved with the European integration process of Bulgaria were not done properly. Because during the European uh, membership negotiations in Bulgaria, the question with the minority rights was mostly abandoned because it's a highly politically sensitive issue in Bulgaria. Because the rights of minorities or liberalization of the rights of minorities in Bulgaria is often uh, related 
are connected with the Bulgarian nationalism. Because giving rights or giving the possibility for the autonomy of the Turkish uh, culture, according to the Bulgarian nationalist, means that cr creating the Turkish order in Bulgaria. So there, there is a problem of not in terms of freedom, but contested nationalisms, mostly what you could meet. Despite the fact that the Turks themselves don't claim any sort of uh, autonomy or to have independence in Bulgaria in the area where they reside, often the Bulgarian nationalists, especially which became more uh, strong in 2000 and after the transition period of Bulgaria and are still powerful, uh, they do deny to make any single reform and improve the rights of the Turkish minority. During the turmoil, or let's say the conflict in 1989, the only fact that prevented the ethnic conflict or violent ethnic conflict in Bulgaria was the close relations between the Bulgarian and the Turkish communities in the villages where they lived. Because during the Cold War period, the communists decided to resettle those villages. When they were sending in trains, Turkish communities to the north of Bulgaria or inner parts of Bulgaria or the central parts of Bulgaria, they were sending also ethnic Bulgarians to the south of the border in order to balance the Turkish and the Bulgarian populations, in order to create a new ethnic balance. Because they were hoping that, living together with Bulgarians, the Turks would voluntarily assimilize or, or become truly Bulgarians. When they realized that this didn't happen, and in fact they did coexist in peace, and in some parts actually the Bulgarians began to become more Turkish than the Bulgarians they left their places. This was the reason why the assimilation campaign was launched. So it came to the rate that it wasn't tolerated anymore. And the worship of the religion, Islam, was simply a threat because it was the symbol of the Turkish rule and it was correlated. So this is why right now what the things in Bulgaria are actually negotiated. The times of the assimilation were also the times when speaking Turkish in public, you would be fined like five dollars with the amount of that time, because five Bulgarian level was equal to five dollars. So if you speak Turkish in public, be at the schools or on the street, uh, you would be fined with five lever for that. And nowadays, just uh, two weeks ago, the leader of the Movements for Right and Freedom, which is known to be the party of the ethnic Turks, he got a fine of 200 euros, 250 euros, which is approximately $300 for making a propaganda during election campaign in Turkish, his native language. So now they do plan to proceed this case to the European Court of Human Rights, which is in charge of the regulation of minority rights in EU member countries. Despite that Bulgaria became an mem EU member in 2007, still there are lots of things to be done in order to improve the conditions of ethnic minorities, be them Turks, Pomaks or the Gypsies. And thank you very much for your attention.